This morning's reading can be found on page 1081 of the Q Bible. It's sneakily hidden in the bottom right hand corner. And it runs over on page 1082. The vine of the branch. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. On every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And we're going to continue. Uh, we're going to be looking at that same passage in John's Gospel. So if you've got a Bible there, it would be helpful to have that open at John 15. Um, I haven't got the verses up on the screen today, so you'll have to do your own hard work. And I'm going to pray, and we'll ask that God will help us as we look at his word together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us to enjoy. We thank you that we can gather together here now as your people, of the encouragement that it is to meet together for the opportunity we have now to hear from your word and give us ears to hear, help us to put into practice the things that you lay upon our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, some of you would know that I grew up out in country New South Wales uh, and the area that we lived in was mostly wheat and sheep country uh, but it had become more diverse in recent years uh, and all kinds of things were grown out there, potatoes, cotton, uh, cherries, uh, and citrus, quite a bit of citrus in fact, 
Uh, good friends of ours managed a rather large orchard. In fact, at one time, it claimed to be the largest in the Southern Hemisphere. You always hear things being claimed to be the largest in the Southern Hemisphere. I've got no idea if it was or not, but that's what people said. Uh, and we occasionally go out there, that is, um, my brothers and I, and even my parents occasionally, we do a bit of picking. Uh, we would fill up crates of oranges. Sometimes it was just to earn a bit of pocket money. Sometimes it was a part of a fundraiser. Uh, but we also got to know a number of the seasonal pickers that would come through town uh, and lived out on uh, the, the property itself for a time. And so we knew a little bit about picking oranges, but we knew very little about picking grapes. Um, and that probably has a bit to do with a comment that my mother made one day while we were driving past a vineyard. The whole family was in the car and we were driving past row after row of grapevines and my mother mused out aloud. She said, you know, I'd much rather pick oranges than grapes. And the rest of us kind of looked at each other wondering where she was going with all of this. And she continued, she said, can you imagine how long it must take to pick off those grapes one by one? <laughs> and of course, as soon as she said it, she wished she hadn't. Uh, my mum was a city girl, and we've never let her forget that one. <laughs> but even if you don't know a great deal about farming, uh, the image that Jesus gives us here in John 15 of a vine and branches, it's not too difficult for anyone to grasp, is it? But the important thing for us to understand is why Jesus is teaching us these things here, why he uses this image and what it can help us understand about our relationship with God. As we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Jesus is here in the upper room preparing his disciples for his departure. He's about to go to the cross and he'll return to his father soon. And we've seen Jesus express his concern for his disciples. And that same concern lies at the heart of the verses we're looking at today. Uh, in fact, if you look ahead in your Bibles there and go to Luke chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus explains why he is telling them all the things that he's telling them here in John 15. And Jesus explains that he's explaining all of these things to them so that they won't fall, so that they won't stray. Jesus is aware that things are about to get very difficult for the disciples. And so Jesus wants them to be able to keep going, to remain faithful after he's gone. And so what we have in chapter 15 is Jesus reminding his disciples of the importance of remaining in him. And he says two things will happen if they do that. Firstly, they're going to produce fruit. God is going to bear fruit in their lives. And secondly, Jesus says opposition is going to come. Jesus, in fact, says that they're going to be hated by many because of him. And so Jesus wants to prepare them for that so that they'll be able to stand firm when that time comes. So we'll go back to the beginning of chapter 15 and, and look at this image of the vine and the branches. Jesus explains the image clearly for us. He says, he is the vine, his father is the gardener, and we are the branches. It's not a complicated image. But the most obvious implication for us, I think, is that like branches, as we are just talking to the kids about, uh, we need to be connected to the vine if we're going to survive, if we're going to thrive. It's the point that Jesus makes. Go down to verse 4 of chapter 15. 
He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We all know what happens to branches when they get separated from their vine, from their plant. Uh, from the moment that that happens, they begin to wither. They begin to die. The life is gone from them. The branch has no life within itself. It needs the vine if it's going to survive, to grow, to produce fruit. And so in this little story, Jesus says, you're the branches. We need to understand that we are completely dependent upon Jesus. And that without him, we not only can we not have life, but unless we stay connected to him, we've got no hope of bearing any fruit. And so Jesus' appeal here is as straightforward as it gets. He says, remain in me. That's what he's urging the disciples to do. Now, normally when you remain somewhere, uh, you're not doing a great deal. It's not a terribly exciting word. Uh, remain in your seats. Remain where you are. Remain calm. Usually if someone's telling you to remain calm, that means you've got a very good reason not to remain calm. Uh, but remain is a, a word that just means stay put, don't move. And as Christians, it's helpful for us to remember that when it comes to our Christian lives, there's a sense in which we, we don't go anywhere. We stay put. We don't move on from Jesus. We don't upgrade to something new or something better. We remain right where we started, with him. But of course, that doesn't mean there's nothing going on. Jesus says that remaining in him is where the action is found. That's not only where life is found, but it's also where growth happens. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing, says Jesus. Now that's a, uh, an often misunderstood statement, that last one from Jesus, where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he's obviously not saying that without me, you're incapable of tying up your shoelaces or driving your car. Uh, it's obviously not that. So what is Jesus saying? Well, he's specifically talking about this idea of bearing fruit. Jesus says, without me, you have no hope of bearing fruit for God. But of course, with him, he promises that we will. So what is this fruit Jesus is talking about? Well, it's often been suggested that this idea of bearing fruit is about producing more disciples. We do that as we share the good news about Jesus, as people come to trust in him and follow him, so that the kingdom grows. We, we produce more fruit. And there's actually some support for that idea in these verses. Uh, if you have a look ahead at verse 16, Jesus talks about appointing the disciples to go, to go and bear fruit. But where are they going? Well, if you scan down a little bit further in verse 27, right towards the end, Jesus explains there that he's sending them into the world to testify about him. So the fruit that they bear may well have something to do with this idea of them being appointed to go and to testify about Jesus and see the kingdom grow in that way. But I don't think that's the whole picture either. Because if you go back to verse 8, 
Uh, Jesus says this. He says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So this fruit-bearing business is going to coincide with them demonstrating or showing that they are the disciples of Jesus. And that expression echoes something that we saw a couple of weeks ago. Because not long before he's said this, Jesus back in chapter 13 of John has said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And Jesus here then says that this bearing fruit is going to achieve the same purpose. It's going to demonstrate, it's going to show that we are disciples of Jesus. And if you look at what Jesus goes on to talk about, right after he talks about bearing fruit, you'll see that it's all about love. It's all about obedience to Jesus. So in verse 10, he says that loving him and remaining in him will look like obedience to him. And what does he command us to do? Well, he commands us to love. Look at verse 12 of chapter 15. Jesus there reissues this command that we saw a couple of weeks ago where he talked about that new command that he was giving us. The command to do what? To love others as he has loved us. Verse 17, he repeats that command again. This is my command, love each other. So I don't think this bearing fruit idea is any one particular thing to the exclusion of everything else. I think it's any and all of those things that show the result of God's work in our lives. And most obviously, that's going to be seen in how we love. It's going to be seen in our character that God is forming within us. It's going to be seen whether or not we're obedient to Jesus. It's about the work that God wants to do in and through us to transform both our lives and the lives of other people through the power of his gospel. So if you call yourself a Christian, remember which side your bread is buttered on. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. He's both the source of your life as a believer, but he's also the source of your growth and your transformation as a child of God too. It's a simple truth, but I think it's one we can often easily forget or neglect, both within our churches, and I think when we think about our own lives, I think too often we try and achieve things outside of Jesus, simply without him. In the end, it's not going to be about how hard you try, how much work you put in, whether or not we have the right strategies as a church, whether or not we've got well-run programs and ministries. And I'm not saying those things are unimportant. They are important. But if you're not, first and foremost, connected to Jesus, if you're not committed to remaining in Him, well, you're going to be wasting your time. You may achieve all kinds of things, but you won't be bearing fruit for God. So remain in Him as He remains in you. And he promises it will bear plenty of fruit. Now being united to Jesus brings fruit. It brings that blessing into our lives. But Jesus says that it's also going to bring conflict. It's going to bring opposition. Have a look at verse 18 here. Jesus explains that in fact his disciples, his followers are going to be hated by the world. Verse 18. If the world hates you, 
Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Jesus warns his disciples here that following him means they are going to be hated by the world. Now, does this mean that every person you know who doesn't trust in Jesus is going to despise you simply because you're a Christian? Well, no, you know from your own experience that simply isn't true. But I think in a more general sense, Jesus is making the point that if you belong to him, you no longer belong to the world, and that means you and the world aren't going to get along anymore. And when Jesus talks about the world in this way, he means it in a conceptual way. It's the world as it stands opposed to God. The world that has rejected God as its ruler. And because of that, there is opposition. There's tension. Even hatred towards those who bear the name of Jesus. That's how Jesus puts it there in verse 21. He says, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And the disciples will be hated by the world because of the name of Jesus. We don't use the expression so often these days, but people used to talk about having a good name. Maybe you still use that expression, I don't know. If you watch a lot of period drama on the ABC, you're probably familiar with that expression. Someone might be told that their actions have sullied the good name of the family or the good name of the organisation that they belong to. And having a good name can work two ways, well, or having a bad one. Uh, having a good name can open up doors for you. Having a bad name can make you guilty by association. Today we might not talk about names so much, but your, your brand, if you're talking about a corporation, everyone wants to protect their brand. Uh, well, Jesus is saying that if we belong to him, there's an association between us and him. And Jesus says that his name is going to bring trouble for the disciples. Not because of its spelling or the sound that it makes, but because of who Jesus is. Because of what he represents. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I think people are often quite happy to talk about spiritual concepts and even speak of God. But if you start talking about Jesus, the tone of the conversation changes, doesn't it? People might look at you a little differently, wonder if you're one of those fanatics. I sometimes get asked why I left my work in engineering to become a minister. And I don't have a stock standard answer for that, but if I'm feeling a little more adventurous, I might say, well, because of Jesus. And that's usually either the end of the conversation or at the very least the trigger for a new topic. There's something about Jesus that makes people bristle. And if you're going to say, I'm with him, I'm one of his, well, you can expect to get treated the way that Jesus was treated by this world. It's all because of his name. Now, let's be honest about it. The kinds of things that we're likely to experience in Australia for being followers of Jesus are 
They're not like what many of our brothers and sisters around the world are forced to endure. But that's not to say that they're not hard. And they're certainly still enough to keep many of us quiet about Jesus, aren't they? I mean, you're not likely to get sacked, but you may not progress in your career as you had hoped or planned. And that may be because of the attitude people visit upon you, because of your professional faith. Other times it might just be uh, kind of secondary things, like that impression that you give off of being self-righteous. Not that you are necessarily, but if you choose to honour your boss in your workplace, rather than joining in when everyone starts piling in on the boss, you might not be considered one of the crew. Or you might choose to maintain your integrity by refusing to play those kind of manipulative games that often get employed in the workplace. It may be that you, you simply can't compete with the hours that some people are prepared to pour into their work. You know, a conscious choice that you make. You want to make time for other priorities, like the people in your life. Time to serve others. You want to remain connected to Jesus and connected to your church family. Remaining in Jesus may cost you in that way. It might cost you socially. Maybe not so much that you get openly rejected by others. That might happen, but you know that feeling of being kept at arm's length, never really being invited into the inner circle of friends. Maybe some people are a little bolder and they'll be quite happy to label you and call you out as a, a bigot or a homophobe or a transphobe or something else phobic. You might just get labelled as a bit quaint. Someone is a bit prudish because you don't laugh at the crude jokes. You don't join in when it comes time to brag about your sexual exploits. Being a follower of Jesus in Australia doesn't mean that you're going to get thrown into prison or have your property taken from you. But family life might get a whole lot more complicated for you. If your parents don't share your faith or your spouse. I know of people in Australia who've been effectively disinherited by their families because they now say they trust in Jesus. If you belong to Jesus, you don't belong to the world anymore. You belong to him. Jesus says we need to be ready for what's coming our way if we're going to be faithful to him and not fall away. Jesus has been teaching all throughout John's Gospel that people's attitude towards him is actually a reflection of their attitude towards God. And now he tells us that we're going to experience the same thing. That people's attitude towards God is going to be reflected in the way that they treat his followers. Have a look at verse 21 again. Jesus says, They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. When we are treated like that, Jesus says in the end, it's really because people don't know the God that you know. It's a reflection of where they're at with God. And so this is a warning from Jesus. He says this is going to be a reality for you. Jesus doesn't promise to shield his disciples from any of this. He doesn't promise here to wrap them in cotton wool. Just the opposite, in fact. Jesus says he's going to send them out into the world to testify about him. 
and he knows it's going to be hard. In fact, if you look at the beginning of chapter 16, Jesus spells out what some of this is going to look like for the disciples. He says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. And they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Things are about to get really difficult for the disciples. They're going to get ostracised, persecuted. Most of them will be arrested and beaten. Many of them killed. But Jesus says, for them, forewarned is forearmed. He's warning them ahead of time so that they will be prepared when this takes place. So that they won't fall away, they won't throw in the towel. There's going to be a huge temptation for the disciples to back off on following Jesus. Very real pressure for them to just keep quiet about the Jesus bit. Talk about less confronting, less offensive things. I'm sure you felt that same pressure. Sadly, many of our Christian leaders and teachers uh, are encouraging us to do just that. They only ever want to talk about the Christian life as a positive and victorious experience where success and comfort become the sign of God's work in your life, the sign of God's blessing and anointing in your life. In matters financial, success in your relationships, certainly in your career. Now, God may choose to bless you in those ways, but he may not. And if you've got a version of Christianity that has no room for the words of Jesus, then you've got a problem. We don't get to choose to ignore what Jesus says to us here. That the effect of belonging to him, of remaining in the vine, is to find ourselves being opposed by the world. For the disciples it was going to be real hardship, real rejection, even death. But we should never assume that it ought to be different for any of us. Sure, in a Christianized culture like ours, it's not likely to be so extreme. But what if it was? I think if our current cultural trajectory uh, continues on the path that it is at the moment, it's going to be a lot sooner than any of us might like to think. We need to remember that when those sorts of hardships come, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing anything wrong. That you've somehow fallen out of favour with God. That God has, has distanced himself from you. Not at all, says Jesus. And knowing what Jesus says here, I think helps us to recognise that our, our external circumstances are not the best indication of how God feels about us, how he is towards us. Listening to Jesus is... And he says, you are his, and you are loved, and that he will remain with you. So will you remain with him? There will be fruit in the lives of those that do that, but only for those who remain, who stick with him.
We will only grow. We'll only do anything of value for God in our lives if we stay connected to our Lord and Saviour. But doing that, as we've just heard, means we're going to find it hard going at times. And so Jesus wants to equip us so that we don't fall away. That even when that opposition comes, we'll stand with Jesus, stand up for him and stick by him. Of course, we're going to need God's help to do that. But he's promised to do just that for us. He's not going anywhere. He will never leave us. He has saved us and now sent us to bear fruit for him, to testify about his son in this world, to love others as he has loved us. And in doing that, we'll bring glory to his name. Alex is going to lead us in prayer. Please join with me as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that you loved us so much that you sent your Son to die for us. Thank you for your immeasurable love towards us and for Christ Jesus, the true and living vine. Thank you that you have chosen and called us to be branches on that living vine. Lord, we know that opposition will come and challenge us in this broken world. We are sorry for the times that we try and take control and do things without you at the centre of our lives. We ask that by your Holy Spirit we may keep your commands and remain in your love every moment of the day, just as Jesus kept your commands and remained in your love. We ask that you would help us to remain firm and encourage one another in our faith and obedience to you. Please help us to be more and more dependent on you as we remember that apart from you we can do nothing. Please produce fruit in us for your glory and honour. Lord God, please help us to love each other even when it is difficult, as you have first chosen and loved each and every one of us. We give you the glory and honour for all that you are doing in our lives every day, even in the times we can't see it or understand your ways. Please strengthen us and prepare us to remain steadfast no matter what trials or hardships come our way so that we may not fall away. Lord, please continue to transform us this week and in the weeks ahead by the power of your gospel. Help us to remain connected to you, our Lord and our Saviour. We ask all of this in your son's precious name.